Hello, folks. Welcome back to another edition of Football Theory, a very special Texas OU edition of Football Theory. I am your host, uh, your co-host, actually, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. I am pleased to be joined by another Lifetime Longhorn, uh, but he's also a football theorist with Inside Texas. And, of course, you can also catch his wonderful work, uh, America's War Game, on Substack. He does great work. What's going on, Ian Boyd? What's going on, brother? How you doing? Busy week. I've been uh, buried in... Buried in a Texas and Oklahoma film. Oh, that's that's exactly what the people want to hear. That's exactly why you're here, man. We get to, we do the deep dive. We can go rabbit holing with my man Ian Boyd. All right, before we do that, I think so. I got a simple question. I think you'll open things up because uh, it was uh, kind of a thought experiment that we were having on the morning show that I do. If there is, you studied both of these rosters. Texas roster very is a very talented roster. If there was any player on the Oklahoma roster that you could take to upgrade at a certain position on the Texas roster? Is there any player you would deem as an upgrade from that Oklahoma roster on this current Texas roster? Let me check their, uh, let me check their field goal stats really quick. <laughs> I don't even know that dude's name, but I'm pretty sure I'll take that dude. I'll take him. I don't know his name, but I'll take him. So it's Zach Schmidt. <laughs> I think I would take Schmidt and yeah. Danny, Danny Stutzman. The, uh, the linebacker. The linebacker. He's a, he's a stud. He really and, is. And uh, he, he, he's very instinctive and just – Yeah. He's good in coverage. Venables, Venables has molded him pretty well. Yeah. He's good in coverage, man. It's hard to find a linebacker good in coverage. He's good in coverage. I've seen him get pancaked a few times. And usually it's because he runs to the spot so fast that he's like out of control. And sometimes he still helps make the play just with his like flailing body as he gets trampled. Just blows up everything. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes very much not, but he's, he's good. He's good uh, I, that might be it. Hmm. All of their linemen are pretty good, but I don't know that there's like any obvious trades you would make it's like it sounds bad to say that there's like two Sooners that you would trade for the Longhorns it makes it sound makes it sound like they're just terrible um there's like maybe eight positions where it's very close you could could you make the you can make the argument could you make the argument for some guys in the secondary like I don't know like you know you got Billy but you got Key Lawrence Billy Bowman guys like that nope not no, no, not Lawrence. Uh, Bowman, maybe, maybe Bowman. Bowman's um, a good player. Um, I know, but I, trust me, that's the reason I threw it out there because you do feel really cocky and arrogant. I mean, Longhorn taking the Longhorn side of it, and if you want to take the Sooner side, you can. And, but I still think you come out to a very similar, you know, result, which is the, the talent advantage is a huge talent gap between Texas and Oklahoma this year. Not always the case. Matter of fact, I don't remember a time we have if we could have this thought experiment in previous years, and maybe last year, of course, you could say it. But in recent, you know, years in this Texas OU game, you haven't been able to to have this type of lopsided <laughs> view uh, that Texas has that much of a talent advantage, but they do, and they've been they've been tested more. They've been more battle tested. Their schedule. The players, uh, obviously, going on the road, winning in Tuscaloosa and Alabama. You know, it's a more battle-tested team than Oklahoma, too. So I just threw it out there. 
Because I'm with you. I feel bad talking about it too. I was like, man, I feel arrogant. I feel cocky. And that's the wrong way to go into this game. It's arrogant and cocky. It'll blow up in your face. And- normally, normally, Rod, what I do with this game is I'm like, I, I would say, how could Texas win this game? And then, and just figure out like the game, the season's on the line. How could they play this game in a way that would allow them, give them the best chance to win? This year, I did the opposite. I said, okay, how could Oklahoma win this game? Hmm. Because the question of how Texas could win this game is obvious. And, and every, each team puts so much into this game with their game plans and their preparation that uh, you, have to, you have to come at it from the underdog perspective of like, how are they going to like overachieve relative to expectations because they're going to – anything that they can do to do that, they will. I agree with you, especially considering the result of last year, right? Yeah. Going to 49-0, you were embarrassed. I've been embarrassed in this game, unfortunately, uh, in 2000, and I can tell you that it does haunt you to, to be a no-show, which is essentially what they were, a no-show, in the biggest game of the year against your most hated rival – on that stage to be a no-show. It's okay to lose. Everybody's lose. I mean, it happens, trust me. But to be a no-show and just get mollywopped, that's unacceptable. And it did. We, we obsessed about that game. I think the next year we lost 14-3. to three. We still lost. But it was a slobber knocker of a performance the next year. We didn't go down, go out like no punk like we did in 2000. So I think I'm with you. I think Oklahoma comes with some fight. I think Venables has been he's, – he, he's been afforded the luxury of saving some stuff because they haven't had – a big-time, marquee, uh, tough opponent just yet, uh, like Texas has against Alabama or something like that. So I'll, I'll just piggyback on what you said. How does how does a, a Texas win look? How does it look? Just give me your project, like, exactly how it looks. Is it just Texas um, dominating on the ground with the lines of scrimmage? Is it just that simple? Uh, no. I mean, it could, but I don't think that's what they're going to do. I think it'll look similar to the Alabama game on offense. Okay. Or also a little bit similar to the 2008 game, um, only with JT Sanders in the Jordan Shipley role. I think they're going to spread this team out like they did Alabama, fling the ball around, get them dropping back, maybe get them in a sub package, and then late in the game. Close with the run is when you may be closed by just shoving it down their throat. Um, I think they could probably win this game by just trying to blast them on the line of scrimmage from the jump, but that's not going to be what they do. Is it just because that's not in Sark's nature? Cause Sark not is not Sark's nature. It's yeah. also Sark's a showman. Sark no, on the stage no. like this, Sark wants to, sh- he wants to show off his offense, which I like, by the way, I like that about it. I like yeah. to show, show. And and there's so many targets in the Oklahoma defensive backfield. It's like, hey, do you want to pick on this target for a five yard run or for a fifty <laughs> yard pass? Right? Uh Sark's gonna take the fifty yard pass. So Yeah, that I mean I will say this about Oklahoma's defense. They do have I think they have the, the lead nationally, a tie for the lead nationally in interceptions with 10. They made some plays on the ball. Uh, recently. They're more opportunistic. They actually lead the Big 12 in takeaways, too. Takeaways, no matter what football game you're looking at, that's a big 
that's a big number. That's a big issue um, if you have a lot of takeaways. But Texas doesn't turn the football over. So, I mean, they have a lot of takeaways, but Texas is not a team that's prone to uh, being careless with the football. And Quinn's been great. He threw an interception last week, but Quinn's been great usually. That's not really in his DNA as a player to turn the football over. I, you, you Go back to something you said. You said that Texas could, and I agree with you. I think they could line up and play bully ball against Oklahoma. The Oklahoma, honestly, that's where their deficit is, is in the trenches, a real deficit in terms of them matching up with Texas, uh, especially Texas defense line versus their O-line. But getting back to the, the Texas game plan versus the Oklahoma defense, because I, I think – and I – It'd be interesting to see if Oklahoma wants to bring a lot of pressure, if they're going to blitz, if they have an elaborate blitz package. If Texas comes out throwing the ball, if they come out with the quick game, different discussion altogether. Um, But if they come out and start flinging the football around, JT Sanders' health, and they want that. He's the biggest matchup nightmare on the offense. It ain't Xavier Worthy. I love Xavier Worthy. He's great. And A.D. Mitchell, those guys can beat man-to-man coverage consistently. They're awesome. They're NFL wide receivers. But your biggest matchup nightmare is JT Sanders. He did have the injury in the Kansas game. Um, the, the adjustment, let's just, for the sake of conversation, say that JT Sanders is not 100, he's not healthy. All right. So he's not, he's on, as I say, he's on a pitch count, something like that. Or let's just say that he ends up re injuring it in the game. I'm knocking on wood because we hope that's not the case. Um, the adjustment in the Kansas game was to the Big 12 package. Had more Big 12, and for those who don't know, the Big 12 package is one back, two tight ends, but they use an extra offensive lineman, Malik Agbo, as the extra tight end in the Big 12 package. But more snaps of the Big 12 package by my count than any time in Sark's tenure here at Texas since he deployed it last season. Um, any Is there any thought that Texas could actually play some bully ball with the Big 12 package if JT Sanders is not – available or is not a at you know 70 80 percent or if he re-injures it because that was that was the adjustment and Stark likes to throw out of it he likes chunk yardage vertical shots out of it and I think he also wants to be able to be physical you answer you're able to check both of those boxes with that big 12 package yeah I mean I think they're probably going to do some of that anyway I think the main thrust of the game plan and especially early will be Quick game, JT Sanders flexing all over creation. Uh, I mean, flexing is in. I like, no, I like, I like the way you said that. Flexing nice. like, flexing <laughs> like, maybe some of that too, though, honestly. That was funny. That was funny. Well done. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, a lot of quick, but I think they will mix in 12 personnel. There's like two advantages for them when they do that. One is that it puts a lot of onus on Oklahoma's linebackers to – make clean fits against a wider array of like possible gaps and schemes. Yep. I don't know that they're really, you know, up for it from what I've seen. And then um, it also helps create isolation outside for the outside receivers. And Oklahoma's cornerbacks this year are pretty solid, better than last year, but I don't think they can, match up with Adonai Mitchell and, and Xavier Worthy. I think that's like low-key a major problem for Oklahoma in this game. Yeah, that's why, you know, because it, it may, honestly, Texas probably could, they could go either way. That's how talented Texas is. Um, but I do think when they go these six O-line packages, depending on how much they run it, 
you just present the defense with a hell of a conundrum. You either can match the mass of Texas in the trenches, which is, you know, extra, you know, extra offensive linemen, which is almost 2,000 pounds of, of mass on the line of scrimmage in addition to the tight end, and they can just play bully ball. And if you do that, you're right. There will be favorable matchups on the outside, and Texas has more time for those deeper developing routes. By my uh, count and calculation, Texas versus Kansas averaged over 14 yards per attempt out of that 16, that 6 line package. They were just, but it was the vertical, those deep curl routes downfield, yeah. deep outs down the field. They're able, and Sark likes it. Sark, Sark can't really, and Jerry Hamilton brought this up. So I thought it was a great point. Sark, he doesn't necessarily have the deep ball like he would like it in his offense. Hasn't been, you know, deployed as accurately as he would like it and as frequently uh, and with the efficiency. But some of those those deep pearl routes and deep out routes, because Quinn has an, an arm that can make those throws, they almost serve the same purpose, which is you want to keep the safeties off back, to back the safeties. So they don't take the top off the defense but they pretty much keep the top on the defense. <laughs> you know what I mean? In a, in a certain way. Yeah. I, he's, I've noticed Sark is kind of given in a little bit on um, – yeah. like he gave this famous clinic at Alabama where he's like, I don't like throwing to stationary guys. But I think he's figured out that Quinn is so good at the curl and post-curl, even mm-hmm. throwing like to the, long, the wide side of the field. Yep. And he's dialing up some pretty nasty stuff. Uh, like, did you see that stack set? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mitchell. Yep. He's yeah, like, Mitchell. <laughs> yeah. That was nasty, too. And he had the little hook, the little deep hook. Oh, man. Yeah, but you're right. As a, as a cornerback, just real quick, I won't get deep into it. But, you know, I, I you cancel out routes as you get deeper into the progression and deeper into the, the, the stem and the release of the wide receiver. You know, after we get past eight yards, I'm no longer worried about the quick slant. I'm no longer worried about the, you know, the quick out. I'm no longer worried about the hitch routes. As we get to, you know, 12, 15 yards, other routes, you start to cancel out in your head quickly. Um, with, with Quinn and with Sark, I'll admit, you know, they're, they're running 18-yard curl routes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? As a DB, I'm flipping my hits. At 15, thinking, okay, you know, unless they got a, a, an elite freaky arm, there's no way they're throwing an out route at 20 yards or they're going to throw, you know, a curl route at 18. That's what Texas is doing. It is, as a, as a corner, I can tell you that's freaky, man. That's totally unfair. Like, I can't, when am I going to be able to flip my hips? <laughs> so that that's why I think, sorry, and it's all intentional, but that is the beauty of why it keeps that top on the defense. All right, uh, that's enough about these six O-line package. Let me ask you uh, about your favorite your favorite matchup because you've already said they should, Texas should attack certain guys in the secondary uh, for Oklahoma. Who are those specific guys for you that they should attack? Who's the list, and what does the list start? Number one, Desan McCullough. McCullough. <laughs> he plays. Their... What's that? I said public enemy number one. Boom. That's the guy. Well, I, I mean, public enemies ambitious more like <laughs> you know person of interest <laughs> he uh he's really most effective when he's either blitzing or he has an assignment that allows him that has him 
totally protected over the top. And so how the safeties align in like in rotation around him is going to tell you exactly what Oklahoma is doing. Yeah. And if you spread him out away from the formation, uh, like um, if we can get uh, exhibit one, Matthew, if you spread him out like in trips formations and you got Sanders a little off the line, so maybe Mm -hmm. he can block, but also he can get vertical up the field. um, Then it puts Oklahoma in a real bind because they can either shade the backside safety over to help on Sanders or else they have to leave McCullough one-on-one with like a slot receiver. And that's just not going to work. It's bad enough with Whittington. If Texas motions and replaces it so that like it's worthy or cook or someone, then it's even worse. And so it, it just put Oklahoma's going to be in a tough spot in this game because of, because yeah. of the, the limitations of this guy. He's just not, he's just not built for coverage outside of the box. Venables likes him there because he likes to be able to blitz and attack with that position. And if Texas spreads him out enough, then that just is not can't something they can't do that. Yeah. And then like, you can just like, you can start eyeing the backside safety. Is he going to help on worthy or Mitchell, or is he going to rotate over? And if he doesn't rotate, if he, if he rotates, yeah, it just, it may, it clears up the whole picture. And I think Oklahoma's chances of victory in this game totally hinge on confusing and pressuring Quinn. I agree with that. And you're, not, you're not going to do that if he just has a cheat code, this mm-hmm. cipher that tells you what you're doing all the time. Um, and so I don't actually know what they're going to do about it. I, I think that they'll just be really clever and creative. Yeah. And throw a lot of stuff at the wall and hope that, and they'll probably bust a lot of it. And they just hope that Quinn doesn't catch him too often. I think they're going to try to come out with a freaky disguise, exotic disguises. We've got basically kind of hide the kind of the, basically some of the deficiencies you're talking about. And, and with Quinn, it may work really because, we know if you can show Quinn something on the field real time that he hasn't been prepared for in the film room by Sark, you know, and we know that from the Rice and Wyoming game, at least you can trip him up early. You can at least get him started. You can start him slow. If he starts slow, Texas starts slow. If he starts fast, Texas starts fast, and this thing could become a boat race. So you want to start him slow, and I agree with you. I think they got to pressure Quinn. How they do it, that's a different discussion altogether. I think a lot of disguise – I think he may roll the dice and just blitz early too. And he may just decide, man, we're just coming. Like we, we, we're just blinking it. We, we know we might get beat and we can't match up on the outside on the perimeter totally. But if we blitz and cause enough chaos, hey, we may have the chips fall our way. They have to, they have, they have to gamble in this matchup defensively. They're going to have to. And you know what else they, I got, I got two things they're going to love here. One thing Venables loves is disguising Tampa too. I saw he did that. It. He did it to your boy Sims. He did it at Clemson. He did it this season against Iowa State, and and you noticed it against uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati as well. Yeah, he'll get to Tampa too from different ways, and sometimes involving a blitz. Matthew, if you can give us uh, Exhibit Two, I don't think I've seen this one specifically. It just makes sense. 
but I've got McCullough dropping into a deep half. A safety playing as like the like the Mike Wood in a Tampa two. Yeah. Um, they used to do stuff like this with like Roy Williams and Rocky Calmus and whoever back in the day and just create all this confusion about who was doing what. But I also drew this with Sark's favorite Tampa two beater, which is empty formation. Love it, baby. <laughs> Corner routes. And then you put your fastest guy in the middle. So the, the safeties have to mine the corner routes. They get split. And then oh, whoever's yeah. left in the middle has to has to turn and run with uh, oh, that's beautiful. Jonte Cook, they did this against Baylor. Xavier Worthy did this against Washington. Uh, Quinn, as you've noted, is really good throwing over the middle. He has such a great touch on those. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's money. If, if you're Texas, don't you just – you probably come out and empty early in this game. Like you said, just like Bama. They did. Just fling it around and – see what Oklahoma does about it and create easy, quick reads and take a couple shots. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard for them to match up either way with Texas. It depends on where, how Sark wants to attack them. If he wants to start out in the passing game, he can start that way, close with the running game. Um, all right. Uh, one other thing I, I want to get to before I want to get to the defensive side of the ball too. Does the red zone inefficiency con- concern you? Because Venables could go bend but don't break here, right? That's essentially what Kansas did, and and obviously Kansas wasn't going to win that game with Jason Bean playing starting quarterback, but it did keep him in it. It did keep him in it. Bend but don't break. You get in the red zone. You know, there's a there's a comfort there. Right in the red zone, we talked about this. Right, it's a comfort there in the red zone where you don't have to defend the vertical shots of Sark. You can rally late to plays. Um, you know, I, I think Venables may go bend but don't break here. That would be a little bit of a different philosophy than what we're talking about. But maybe if the you know if the aggressive uh, you know attack approach doesn't work, is it possible the bend and don't break and get Texas to try to earn it in the red zone because they haven't been able to do it really well this year? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, no, the, why does why is Texas struggling in the red zone? Is it do they have a flaw that that gets revealed, or are they just kind of? Uh, it's different. It's different like, reasons every time. It's something different every time. It's not one consistent issue. I don't think. I just don't feel like I wouldn't count on that holding out. Like they have so many red zone weapons. Like, because the red zone is ultimately about just overpowering the other team and punching it in. 
which you could do with six O linemen. <laughs> the Texas can do it with the run game. They can do it with like rub routes and just like lasers by Quinn. They can do it with one on ones where we're just going to throw it up for grabs to JT Sanders or Adonai Mitchell, and they're going to moss you. They can do it with um, Quinn running the ball. Apparently, now, that's, a, with- that's that's a new mo- that's a new monster. I cannot believe that's a thing now. The jumbo package. <laughs> I, just, I just think they have a lot of options. I I almost think that maybe that uh, they it's like there's like almost too much in the bag for the red zone, and they just haven't oh. they haven't totally fine tuned it yet. They haven't really figured out who they are in the red zone because it's like they have yeah. too, too too much firepower. Yeah, they're trying to basically use a hatchet when all you need is a you know you need a scalpel in the red zone, something like that. Um, so, <laughs> no, I'm with you though. I, I I don't know exactly what it is either. I was asking you because I haven't really figured it out, but I don't know if it's a big issue because they're such an explosive offense that you know they find ways to score. Scoring is not an issue, even if the red zone may be one. All right, come to the defensive side of the ball really quickly. Um, let's talk about Texas defending the deep ball. This is something that concerns a lot of Longhorn fans. They've asked me about it multiple times. I guess I am the one to ask because I'm a defensive back, a member of DBU, but. Um, I want to ask you about it because Texas, they haven't given up a, you know, a disproportionately high number of deep balls compared to the average, actually. I mean, I think they've, I think they've given up a third of the deep balls that have been thrown um, at this defense. And that's about 30-something percent. I think the average is around 35% completion rate on passes 20 yards or more down the field. Oklahoma is really good at completing the deep ball. Dylan Gabriel is completing close to 60% of his passes 20 yards or more down the field. That's been against uh, lesser competition, but it's Texas defense. Maybe one of the things that they've been vulnerable to in three out of the five games has been the deep ball. I think Texas can defend it in a number of ways. I think personnel is probably the best way to defend it, tightening up some of the rotations of some of the guys in in the personnel. Uh, What are your thoughts about Texas and the deep ball? Because that is one of the strengths of the Oklahoma offense. Yeah, I would go so far as to say that people are going to love this. Oklahoma is really good at protecting Gabriel across their line. And he's very good at landing shots. And without that, they are mid, as the kids like to say. Oh, man. Drop a lean on <laughs> I think that whole team is like a middle-of-the-pack Big 12 team if they don't have that dimension. Okay. They do have that dimension. So they, I mean, Texas might play them twice twice this year because of it. But if they don't, there's not a lot else to this team. Like if you can handle their blitzing and you can't, and you can stop them from hitting you over the top. It's that's it. Yeah. They gamble a lot. Uh, Yeah. They they don't. Yeah. They're not ready to just hold up on the back end um, like some of the better Venables defenses we've seen in the past. Usually he likes to be able to either swarm you or to be able to hold up and just like in base defense. And I don't think they can do the, the latter yet in his tenure at Oklahoma against a team like Texas. But um, yeah, I think um, our guy Keaton Crawford, I don't know if he needs to be out there unless he has a good week of practice. He's just been a little bit susceptible in coverage for mm-hmm. you know two years now. 
The yeah. one against Kansas was pretty bad. Um, yeah, the post they ran right by him on the post yeah. route. Yeah, that can't happen. That this that cannot happen this week. That's the that's the game right there. Um, I think also it's a great week to just let Catalan let it rip and play mm-hmm. 50, 60 snaps. I love it. Um, I love it. So I, I think that that is part of it. I think they may also they may also play more like single high man or match in this game. And um, because their two eye stuff has been really good for them. But when you play these teams that spread their receivers so far out, you end up with with a different, um, it's just, it's just kind of changes the angles in the, in the geometry of the game. Yeah. And it leaves your guys a little more, um, leaves your safeties potentially more vulnerable to like double moves and things. So I would think maybe you play more like man or match and let Baron carry some guys up a little bit to the safeties rather than having having them wait 10 yards off the ball for the route. Ultimately though, I think that this is, it's, it's the defensive line can uh, cut off the head of the snake. And that's the easiest way to win this game. Yeah, it is. Especially with the deep ball. You have to worry about it if you can apply enough pressure to him. We won't have time to throw it. Not accurately anyway. Yeah. And he's five foot ten too. He's 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 one of us, Rod. <laughs> one of us. <laughs> no, you're right. Tavondre Sweat and Alfred Collins, though, big paws and mitts in your face. It makes it a little bit tougher. Even if they don't get home, they can just you know, make his life hell and put him under the rest. So I'm with you on that. Yeah, so I'm I'm a little concerned about the deep ball, but I'm not worried about it. I think Texas will have an answer for it. If they hit a couple early, I think Texas will just back the safeties up. They'll play too high. And honestly, I think because the running game for Oklahoma is not a formidable one. I mean, if you're averaging less than four yards per carry, I think Texas actually can limit them. I ain't saying stop them, limit them with a lighter box, which they're going to force you to do. They're going to try to go with the wide splits and just make you play with the light box. But Texas light box has sweat and, you know, Byron Murphy and Jalen Ford. I mean, that's one of the better. If, they, if you got to play with a light box, then they probably have one of the best groups to do it with. So I'm not really concerned with the run game. Moment two, I think the deep shot, if the deep shot doesn't work for Oklahoma, I don't know exactly what they're going to go to. I don't know what the counter is. That's what I don't know. I'm talking about what's the counter? Because the counter is not the run game. They won't be able to just run the ball on Texas. What's, I don't know what the Cats – can they go quick game? Texas is too good against the quick game. I mean, Texas DVs are great against the quick game, actually. Should they bear going to throw a quick game on them? So I don't know what they get if they don't have the deep ball. So. Yeah, well, they just become a uh, – they have to do something like um, Wyoming did, where you try to just be really creative in the run game, create angles, millions of formations, protect the ball, sit on it, and uh, – and hope the game is played in the teens or the 20s. That's a good point. Yeah, and if, Texas, if Texas scores early, then that becomes – you can't do that. Yeah, basically so, Sark's script will determine a lot in this game. Yeah. If that's if he ends up scoring like – you know, he gets the double digits in that script early on, and that Texas defense is rolling, and it's, it doesn't look like it's going to be a shootout. And Yeah, I think Texas can start running away with it. 
and you know it'll look. So the, the game could look very different depending on how it starts, basically. Um, but I think Texas. Either way, I don't see Texas losing. But it is a Texas OU game, and anything can happen. I'll throw that out there. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have so many. I mean, there's the they can just bury them early, right? Or they can have another one of their fourth quarter. We're still, we're still fresh. We still got stuff in the bag and your beat explosions, right? I think it'll be one in the second half, actually. Now that I say that, just my personal opinion, four of the five games they played so far, they pulled away in the second half. Hell, they play, they toyed around. They like play with their food a little bit sometimes uh, in the first half, first quarter. It's almost like a boxer that's killing their opponent out. And then I love the way they, they make good adjustments. The coaching staff does and the players they seem to pull away. So I'll say that. I'll say they pull away. Competitive in the first half, pull away in the second half. There you go. Um, all right, uh, Ian, I appreciate you as always, brother. You're the man. Thanks for the time. What? And uh, th- thank you guys for the time. Go ahead. You got something to say. Go ahead. What is your, uh, what is your favorite memory from playing in this game? Before you tell me, the very first Oklahoma-Texas game I watched – was 2000. Oh, I'm sorry, man. I apologize. I'm serious. I got, that's a heartfelt apology, man. I'm sorry. I, I do. I apologize to everybody. He tells me they went to that game because that was, <laughs> that was, that was embarrassing. That was, that was, I'm glad that it, it ended up being to a good team and it wasn't to a terrible team. I mean, it was a national title, but still, man, that was, that was one of the lowest moments of my Texas football career. It really was. That was a sad occasion. It was a dreary day. Wasn't it a dreary day? When it yeah. like overcast yeah. and like it was yeah. foggy and like it was oh it was it was an ugly day too. Oh man, I'm sorry, brother. Damn. Yeah, that's, that was, I didn't uh, really I didn't really understand. I was like new to college football. Oh like man, high school I think, and uh, mm. I thought or high school or middle school, I, and I thought that uh, I didn't understand that that game was like a oh. big one. Like I was talking to a friend at school and I was like, oh yeah, Oklahoma, whatever. A&M, they got to win the A&M game. And the guy was like, the Oklahoma game is a big deal, Ian. And I was like, is it really? And he's like, if you don't know what a big deal this is, you don't know anything about college football, which I didn't. He's right. Hey, I'll I'll say this, though. It it was bigger after because you came in at a time where actually while you were growing up, Think about it. It wasn't. It wasn't necessarily that big because Bob Stoops and Matt brought it back. It it was it's been right, big. Right. Obviously, history was great, but it had it had been in a lull because the programs were in a lull. And then Bob Stoops brought Oklahoma back. Matt brought Texas back, and that brought Texas OU back. So you might have been right. It wasn't. You know, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Hey, I, I was almost an Aggie too. I was never almost a Sooner. Hell no, I never even considered Oklahoma. <laughs> but my best, my 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 best moment. Is my pick six, man. I pick six, baby. Took it all the way to the house. 2002. Yeah. We went up 14-3. Uh it was a it was late in the second quarter. And I thought, you know, we're gonna we're gonna beat Oklahoma. And we beat them in 99. That was the dummy script game, the not in the tailpipe game by Mike Leach that we fell for. It got down double digits and won. But I, I wasn't a starter. I was just like a, a player. You know, I mean, I wasn't a starter, but I was I was is that huh? real? Is that real? That oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Pearl Reese. No, man, it happened. Yeah, man. But Tom Herman and Oscar Giles, I believe, were the two GAs that found it, took it up to Boris, and Boris 
call the game a little bit different based on the dummy script he thought he found until he realized, I'm sure about eight, nine plays in, like, this is just no way. So I don't know how much it affected the game, though, but it, it was real. I mean, it happened. It's crazy. Um, but, yeah, man, my pick six, we went up 14-3. Here's one lesson before we get out of here, one lesson. The lesson about momentum in this game, it is unique because the, the, the stands are, you know, split right down the middle. It's at a neutral location. The momentum shifts in this game are so extreme, dynamic, and, and palpable. And you can almost feel them. Everybody remembers when Caleb Williams ran that fourth down back 60-something yards for a touchdown, and everybody thought, damn, something that – felt, that felt weird. Something's going on here. I don't like the way this feels. And you can feel that shift. Same thing happened with the Jordan Shipley kick return when Texas was down. No one feels like, okay, I feel it. I feel it on the good way. I feel the good side of this of momentum shift. I returned to pick six, you know, so the place is just going crazy. And we're up 14-3. Two plays later, after the extra point, they return the kickoff, I'm not mistaken, deep into our own territory. I'm talking about deep in the red zone. And I'm, I'm not mistaken, they score a touchdown. And then they score right before the half. All the momentum that had built up, that we had gained, lost in an instant. And that's the key. Don't let – if there is momentum by the team, there will be momentum shifts back and forth, no doubt. You better snuff it out quick. If you feel it, sorry, if you feel the momentum shift, if it's in the air, be aggressive. Go call something to be aggressive and take the momentum right back. That's the key. You cannot allow the other team to keep the momentum. You got to take it back from the instant. They will. They'll get it. But you can't allow them to keep it. There you go. It's my theory. Uh, all right, any last words, brother? Uh, I I remember was 20, 2002 the year when y'all knocked Hibble out of the game, and then White came in and started running all over the place. Oh, you might be right about that. I'm was not that sure. Or was that it might be three. That might have been later on. No, I want to say the same guy stayed in with us the whole time, but it 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 it, it was Hibble though. I'm not mistaken. Uh, but I'm old too. My CTE could be kicking in, so don't ask me. I definitely too because I thought I was going to watch Texas beat Oklahoma for the first time in my life with my own eyes. Oh, in 02? Yeah. Yeah. Then, we should have beat them in 01 and 02. We should have beat them, dude. We should have. Damn it. I know. Now I feel bad, man. Now, well, now my, I'm leaving, my favorite memory was uh, was 08. I was there. Oh, uh, great. Student ticket and uh, probably the Shipley return. It's amazing. Up to that moment, it was like Texas has had a, a good few years in that game. But Oklahoma was like roaring back into shape. Uh, yeah. They were up 14 to three. Yeah, they were up double digits. And it just mm -hmm. felt like, oh, no, not again. Not, not, this, again. <laughs> not another one of those. You think you have a chance and then they just blow the doors down and like. Just Bludgeoning you. TV and hit. Yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, I was, I was a part of one of those games on the other side of it. Yes. <laughs> so when Shipley made that return, the roar on the Texas side was just something totally different. It was like, yep. okay, these dudes aren't going to, you know, go quietly into the night today. And I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, that, that was a great moment. That was, I mean, you're. I don't know if the momentum ever shifted back in that game. Not not fully. No. Uh, that's a great that's a that's a great point too. Because there would be like four plays where you can like that was a momentum shifting play. That was a momentum shifting play. 
then sometimes you're right, momentum just shifts. Honestly, the Caleb Williams, I don't know if the Texas ever get back the momentum in that game. Not totally. No, not totally. <laughs> not totally. I mean, I mean, they in moments, right? I mean, Oklahoma yeah. scored uh, like 20 more points after the <laughs> kick return, but it just never felt the same. After yeah, that. no, you're right. I agree. It's good stuff. Um, all right, that's a nice way to end it. Uh, all right, Ian, thank you for the time, brother. I appreciate it as always, man. Great yep. knowledge, and nobody does it better. Uh, thank you guys for joining us on another edition of Football Theory. Join us next week when we'll be talking, hopefully, about another win for the Longhorns. Hook em.